0: We appreciate so much your presence tonight. We're always glad for the opportunity to be together. We appreciate the scripture reading, the singing together, and also the prayer that has been offered. And now we're going to be thinking about what John wrote in Revelation chapter 22 at verse 20 when he said in the long ago, even so come Lord Jesus. And tonight we want to ask the question, can you say, Come, Lord Jesus. You know, the Bible talks over and over again about the second coming of Christ. And there are lots of scriptures that talk about the second coming of Christ. And really, as we have been singing, the second coming of Christ will signal the last day. hard to imagine a time when the world as we know it will be no more when time will be no more. And so we're gonna be talking about that in just a moment or two. I do wanna mention I think next Sunday night the young men have the worship service or at least that's my understanding. I don't know, is that right Jared? So we wanna encourage everyone to be a part of that. Uh, next Sunday night the young men will be conducting our service. I know that, uh, I know that they have two men lined up to, to speak and so you'll want to make sure that you're here to encourage them In that. Let's look tonight at Revelation chapter 22 in verse 20. John, of course, writes He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Tonight, as we think about the theme, can you say, Come, Lord Jesus? I would remind you that John in writing this book has been banished to the Isle of Patmos and he is in tribulation as are many of God's people in the latter part of the first century. They were undergoing a siege of persecutions. Domitian was on the throne and he wanted to be addressed as Lord and God. The time was about AD 95 or 96. Some of the people to whom John was writing were being terribly persecuted. Some had obviously lost the battle. They had been martyred for the cause of Christ. And so it's in that setting that John, and understandably so, could say, come, Lord Jesus. I want us to think for a minute or two tonight about the second coming of Christ. I want to begin by talking about the promise of his coming. As we think about the promise of his coming, I want to suggest first of all that there are assurances given to us in scripture regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are numerous passages of scripture that assure us that Jesus will one day come. As a matter of fact, Some have said that one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament points to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so numerous assurances are given. But there are some specific announcements regarding his coming. Now there are a lot of folks in the world today that put a great emphasis on when Jesus will come. And really the emphasis ought to be on the Christ who will come it's really irrelevant when he will come the key is the Christ who will come in Acts chapter 1 we read of the ascension of Jesus you recall Jesus had been put to death on Calvary's cross buried in a borrowed tomb resurrected the third day he had instructed the apostles to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. In chapter 1, verse 8, he told the apostles that they would be witnesses of him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and he said, to the end of the earth. And so, after having said that, the Bible speaks of the ascension of Jesus. Jesus. And ultimately, he would be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But there were some angels that appeared on that occasion. And they said said to the apostles, You men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus that was taken up from you will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so the angels of God said to the apostles, the disciples that the Lord would one day come again. Now, there are passages of scripture that speak very clearly concerning the coming of Christ. I mentioned a moment ago, there are a lot of folks that try to forecast, when is Jesus coming? Well, there are no signs relative to the second coming of Jesus. Sometimes people will look at Matthew chapter 24 and they will take the signs that are spoken of there as they relate to the impending destruction of the city of Jerusalem that occurred in AD 70, and they will use that to identify the signs of the time for the coming of Jesus. But the Lord said, of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but he said, my father only in Matthew chapter 24 at verse 36. What about the second coming of Christ? In First Thessalonians chapter four, You remember the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians that had lost loved ones. Some of those people had lost loved ones who had died in Christ. And so he sought to comfort, to encourage them with their lost loved ones and their state. But in that context, he talks about the second coming of Jesus. And he said that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. When Jesus comes, everyone will know it. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John chapter 5 that when he comes, all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation in John chapter 5. Jesus, of course, has been given authority to judge the world, According to John chapter 5 at verse 22. That authority has been given unto him by the Father. So when Jesus comes, as Paul said, everyone will know about it. He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then Peter, over in 2 Peter chapter 3 speaks in a very specific way about the second coming of Christ. He said that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In other words, he'll come when people are least expecting it. He said the heavens being on fire will be dissolved. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein shall be burned up. So when Jesus comes, the world as we know it will be destroyed. Everything that is seen with the visible eye will be done away. As Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10, the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, the earth and the works therein will be burned up. When Jesus comes, the dead will be raised, and we will be ushered before the throne of judgment, and we will, as Paul said, give an account of the deeds done in the body, according to what we've done, whether good or bad So first, there is the promise of His coming. But then secondly, I want to, I want to call attention to the power of His coming. asked the question a moment ago. Can you say, "Come, Lord Jesus?" Let me ask this question: When is the last time you heard someone pray publicly for the Lord to come? I'm not sure that I could recall a time when I have heard someone specifically say, Come, Lord Jesus. I understand why John did. I think about John having spent time with Jesus. He spent some three and a half years with him, sitting at his feet, learning, and growing to love him more on a daily basis. I can understand how John wanted to be in the presence of God. When's the last time you heard somebody talk about the coming of the Lord and express their desire for his return. I remember when I was a little fella, I couldn't have been more than six, seven, eight years old, and it was Christmas Eve, and my dad was talking to, well, my brother and I, and I remember he was telling us about the second coming of Christ, and that's the first time to my recollection that I can ever remember anyone ever talking about the second coming of Jesus, Christmas Eve I remember my dad talking about we're driving to the country and he's telling me that Jesus could come at any time at any hour any day you know what I was thinking I sure hope he doesn't come today you know why I didn't want him to come Santa Claus was coming I was I was concerned about Christmas And so I thought, well, if Jesus comes, then I'll miss Santa Claus. Well, the Lord is coming. When he's coming, I don't know. But I know he's coming. He could come today, he could come tomorrow, next month, next year, who knows? But what about the second coming of Christ? You know, I think that there are some, those of us that belong to the family of God, that will appreciate his coming. Those of us that are identified by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 as saints will appreciate his coming. As a matter of fact, I believe that we will be thrilled at the coming of Jesus. Now somebody might ask the question, why would that be? Why would we be thrilled at the coming of Jesus? Well, there are a number of reasons. First of all, I think about the fact that as God's children we're going home we're going to be in a home that has been prepared for us specifically by the Lord you remember Jesus in John chapter 14 said let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me he said in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you but I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you he said I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus here specifically said he was going away, and while leaving the disciples, leaving the apostles, he would be preparing a place for his people. That would include them. What about this place called heaven? You know, there are some people in the world as hard as it may be to fathom, that do not believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in hell. In Acts chapter 17, we read about the Epicureans and the Stoics, the philosophers that lived in the city of Athens. They did not believe in immortality. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Don't you think it would be a bleak existence to live as if... There is no God. There is no afterlife. There's no hope beyond the grave. What a, what, a, what a sad, black existence that would be. And yet we understand that the Bible speaks in a very forthright and candid way about heaven. Let me just read for you what John said. And I think about John. He's writing toward the latter part of the first century and he's talking, he's talking to people that are suffering and they're being persecuted. They are being mandated to bow to Caesar, to worship, acknowledge him as God. So John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth had passed away and he said, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You remember Peter in 2 Peter 3, verse 13? Said, Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. In verse 3, he said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Not only will we be in that home prepared by God, but the Bible says we will be in the holy presence of God. Imagine if you can standing before the creator, the sustainer of heaven and earth, the redeemer. Can you imagine being in the presence of God? to dwell with God forevermore. And then listen, if you would, to what John said in verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things that passed away. Last Monday, I conducted a funeral for a lady that succumbed to cancer. She was in her 80s. She had lived a long and faithful life for the Lord. Now she's in the presence of God. We live in a world that is replete with heartache and suffering. And there are a lot of folks that will go to bed tonight in pain. Some will cry. Some will succumb to death. And yet to know in that land... We will be free from these things. As John said, listen to him. He said, there'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. To know that the problems and the heartaches and the suffering that are so common to mankind, they'll be over. I understand why as a child of God, we will be thrilled at the second coming of Christ. In verse 5, he said, but he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirst." In verse 7 he said, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. And so we'll be in this beautiful place that's been prepared by God. We will be in the holy presence of God. And then we'll be with the people of God. I want to ask you a question. Are there people that you have loved and known in this life that are no longer with us? All of us could probably say yes. And there are no doubt many of us that have lost many loved ones. We've buried many friends and family members. I was thinking the other day about my dad's side of the family. He is the last one. All of his siblings are gone. His mama and daddy have been gone for years. He is the only surviving member of his family. But the beauty of heaven is that one day we will reunite with people that we have known and loved, that we have spent time with, to know that we will be in their presence forevermore. I want you to listen to what John said in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. You want to talk about incentive for holy living. For living a godly life in Christ Jesus. Listen to what he said. Blessed are those who do his commandments. That they may have the right to eternal life. Or to the tree of life. And may enter through the gates into the city. As a child of God. As somebody who has submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is striving to live the best we know how or the best you know how. As those of us who are striving to live faithful lives, the assurance is that we have the right to the tree of life. We have the right to enter into the gates of that holy city. I can't begin to fathom the beauty of heaven. It might be the case that you can visualize what heaven will be like. I can't. I can read about it, and maybe it's because I just can't wrap my mind around a place that is so superior to anything that I've ever seen in this life. We sing about heaven, we talk about heaven, we read about heaven, but the bottom line is we've never been there. But one day, we'll be together in heaven forevermore. So we can rejoice. Listen, if you would, to John in Revelation chapter 19. He said, let us rejoice. And why is that? Because the bride has made herself ready to know that one day we're going to be in heaven together. And look, I don't care where I am in heaven. I just want to be there. I really don't care. To just get into the city, that's good enough for me. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see. We talk about those of us who are saints and how we will appreciate the second coming of Jesus. But the flip side of that is that those who are classified as sinners, they will be afraid at the second coming of Jesus. On the one hand, the saints, the children of God, we will be thrilled. Those who are outside of Christ, listen very carefully. They will be terrified. Have you ever been scared? Have you ever been afraid? You ever seen something? Done something? Had something happen to you that literally shook you to the core? Listen to John in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 7. John said, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And he said, every eye shall see him, and they also who pierced him. And then he said, and all tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. When Jesus comes, not only will we hear the announcement of his coming, but we will see him coming. John said, every eye shall see him. Imagine that. Every eye will see the second coming of Jesus, the Son of God. So what about those who are outside of Christ? First of all, I think about individuals who would be classified biblically as alien sinners. That is, here are people that have never obeyed the gospel. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2, verse 10, that salvation is in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, verse 6. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. All of us must look to Jesus for salvation. Those who fail to recognize Jesus as the Son of God and obey his will, are lost. There's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way to dance around it. The bottom line is those who are outside of Christ, they're lost. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul speaks of those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord. And here's what he said, they are without hope. Without hope. Without hope. Years ago, when I was preaching for a small church in Nashville, right out of college, one of the teenagers, one of the teenage girls, was in a class that Nancy taught. And she and her boyfriend were engaging in horseplay. That's the best way I know to say it. Her boyfriend, for whatever reason, had, had a gun. And so they're playing with this gun, and the gun discharges. It hit her in the temple. And so we go to the hospital. And she's paralyzed on one side. She, she had learned sign language at an early age, and so she could communicate with people. She could write or communicate by sign language. And when we got to the hospital and visited with her and talked to her, it was one of those things where you think, you know what, she's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Hopefully she'll learn from this. She won't do anything foolish like this again. Well, a couple of days later, several days, I'm not sure exactly how long, we got word that things weren't going so well. The bullet that had gone into her temple, had pierced an artery. And what happened was that artery began to expand. And it put pressure on her brain. And the result was she became, as the doctor said, she was brain dead I remember going in a room and holding that lifeless hand and so the thing that really struck me i think it was on a monday evening we were out in the hall i was with her family nancy was with her family and the doctor came out and he said clinically she is brain dead she was on a ventilator. And he said, I'm going in and I'm going to turn off the ventilator. He said, that way you don't have to make that kind of a decision. I'm going to do it. And he said, it won't be but just a few minutes and she'll be gone. I think within le- I think less than maybe 20 minutes she was gone. Now, a situation like that is heartrending. And the thing that struck me then, it strikes me now, it was a situation where there was no hope. The doctor said the cells in the brain are not like other cells in the body. They do not reproduce, they do not grow again, so to speak. And so he said, once those cells are dead, they're dead. The bottom line he said, there's nothing we can do, no hope. If you die outside of Jesus Christ, having never obeyed the gospel, as Peter said on Pentecost Day to repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you die outside of Christ, no hope. No hope. Paul said, those who are outside of Christ, they're without hope and without God in this world. If you're outside of Christ, you don't have any hope. If the Lord Jesus were to come today, tonight, this hour, this minute, you're lost. Then there are those that the Bible would classify as apostate saints. That is, they have gone back into the world. Peter talks about those people. In 2 Peter 2, verse 15, it talks about people that have forsaken the right way. In other words, they were at one time on the straight and narrow road that leads to life eternal. But for whatever reason, they forsook that way. So down in verse 20, it said, If after we have escaped the corruptions or pollutions that are in this world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are again entangled therein and overcome, He said, the latter end is worse than the the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. What he's saying is this. If you obey the gospel of Christ and then go back into the world, renounce your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're on thin ice. I can't tell you how thin of ice you're on. You see, the bottom line is You forfeited your inheritance. Go back and read the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 12. When God said about the children of Israel because of their unbelief, he said, I will disinherit them. Peter talks about how we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled. He said, it fades not away. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved for us. Some folks in the church, for whatever reason, decide you know what I don't have to be faithful I don't have to live for the Lord I can just do my own thing and you can do your own thing and you can choose to live any way you want but here's what I would say to you if you're in the world and you're having fun and that's the course that you have chosen my encouragement would be you better have all the fun you can have you better enjoy it every single day you better sap the life out of this world Because there's coming a day that's called payday. Here's what Paul said, the wages of sin is death. That is the second death, separation from Almighty God. Now there are folks that we'll talk about from time to time, they've had a bad day. Let me tell you what, you've never had a bad day until you step outside This veil of existence into the presence of God unprepared. Here's what the Hebrew writer said. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. What he's saying is this. It is fearful beyond belief to die unprepared to meet God. And yet, sometimes those in the church live a cavalier, worldly, as the Bible would say, ungodly life. You need to understand, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The Lord knows how you're living. And the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Revelation chapter 2, the Bible talks about those who have left their first love. That is Jesus, no longer number one. In chapter 3, verse 16, he talks about those that have become lukewarm. And the Lord Jesus said, I wish that you were either hot or cold. But he said, because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. So, the Lord Jesus will come. Those who are in Christ, his children, be thrilled. Can't imagine what it's going to be like. On the other side, though, those who are outside of Christ whether they've never obeyed the gospel, unfaithful to him. Listen to Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He said, to you that are afflicted, rest with us at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven. The Bible says he will come with his holy angels, rendering vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. You see, on the one hand, he'll come for his people. Take them home to be with him forevermore. Those who are outside of Christ, their fate, eternal punishment. So, tonight, I ask you this question Can you echo the words of John, even so come, Lord Jesus? I hope you can. If you can't, here's what I encourage you to do. If you've never obeyed the gospel, obey it tonight. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. If you, will, if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name before others, be baptized into Christ, the Bible says your sins will be washed away, God will add you to the church, you'll be numbered among the saved. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, I want to ask you this question. What is keeping you from living a faithful life? You need to come home. You need to come home tonight. On one hand, God is pleading for you to come home. On the other hand, the devil is saying what you need to do is sit in your seat. Just keep living the way you're living. You and only you can cast the deciding vote. So I ask you tonight, what will you do with Jesus as we stand and sing?